can't just hear about what's happening. You have to come down here to see for yourself, to really understand the devastating reality at our southern border. So I brought Kamala down to see exactly what this regime is responsible for with their man-made crisis. Now, Kamala, I want you to stand here and look at what you've done. Absolutely perfect. And Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, Republican of Colorado, joins us in the studio. Welcome and great to meet you. Thanks so much, Greg. It is wonderful to meet you in person. So uh, you're a machine. You're a powerhouse. You are a media superstar and a congressional superstar. Uh, did you see this happening four years ago? You were not close to this kind of life. No way, Greg. Uh, I want uh, to have my restaurant and raise my four boys and live out the American dream. I, I was raised in a Democrat household just because my mom believed the lies of politicians, that you need government to take care of yourself. And uh, when, when I learned at a very young age that I could do a better job taking care of myself than government ever could, I started to develop conservative values. And when I saw that there were so many Democrats that want to take that away from us, that want to take away the American dream, they want to infringe on all of our rights, I, I, I got so frustrated that I had to do something about it. I, I guess it kind of started when I confronted Beto O'Rourke. We've, we've talked about that. Uh, I, I drove three hours to his presidential rally just as a frustrated mom and a gun owner after he told everyone he was going to take our guns. And I, I drove down there and told him, hell no, you're not, with my Glock on my hip. And I, I saw that I could actually represent and affect millions of people uh, just by saying what I believe. And so for me, it was selfish to just sit back and complain about what I saw going on. So this is me stepping up to do my part to serve our country. Uh, this really is about, uh, it, it's a battle between socialism and poverty and freedom and prosperity. Well, we're so happy that you got in the mix, really, you're, and you're changing the conversation. So what's going on at the border? You've been there a lot more recently than uh, Kamala Harris, who hasn't been there in years. Uh, what's happening? I've been there twice now. I went down to Arizona and saw the border there first, and I went with Chairman of the Freedom Caucus, Andy Biggs, and a group of wonderful members of Congress, and, and we went and spoke with Border Patrol agents. We went and spoke with the farmers who are having their, their properties destroyed by these migrants coming through their property, and, and that still wasn't enough because no one was doing anything about it. We have Kamala Harris that was then tapped as border czar and it had been more than 70 days since uh, she was tapped as border czar, and she still had not been down there. So I was in the Rio Grande Valley sector in uh, McAllen, Texas, and I spoke again with Border Patrol agents. I spoke with the sheriffs and the, and the landowners, and, and I saw firsthand what was really happening there. Uh, Greg, I got to tell you, the, the Border Patrol agents, they are overwhelmed. They're overrun. Uh, their facilities are obviously over capacity, but they cannot even test people for COVID because they can't risk having a positive COVID test and quarantining these illegal aliens that are crossing. So they're not even testing them in the Border Patrol facilities. Why is it? Why are they blowing off this problem? They want, the theory is, you know, mm -hmm. globalists want the cheap labor, Democrats want the votes. Is that what's happening here? Greg, for you and I and everyday Americans and the ranchers who are having their properties destroyed by these people busting their fences and getting in, this is a crisis. But for Biden and Kamala, 
this is mission accomplished. <laughs> She's not going down there because this is exactly what their policies intended. The uh, hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens that are crossing our borders, the the families that are self-separating, Greg, we heard for years under the Trump administration that Trump is separating parents and children and he's putting the children in cages. Well, this time last year in the Trump administration, there were 1,400 unaccompanied minors in the HHS facilities. Now, when I was there, there was more than there were 22,000 unaccompanied minors in the custody of the HHS facility. I, I, this is a full-blown crisis, and parents are self-separating from their children because of the Biden policies. If, if your child is seven years of age or older, you cannot cross with your child. So they are purposefully self-separating from their children, putting their children in the hands of the cartels and meeting them on the other side, knowing that we will reunite them on the other side. I've seen the buses of migrants filled and it's on a 15 minute loop. There's a, there, there's a sign in the front of the window. It says 15 minute loops. They are filling these buses with migrants, sending them into hotels and sending them all throughout our country. Greg, I saw them in the McAllen airport, groups of migrants with manila envelopes with instructions on how to board their future flights. And they are going all over the country. This is not just a problem for Arizona and Texas. This is a problem for our entire nation, a, a country without a border is not a country with all, uh, w at all. And without a secure border, every state is a border state. Well, Kamala Harris uh, talks about the border. She hasn't been there, and uh, she said this uh, not too long ago. Just quickly put a button. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I, at some point, you know, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole, this whole, this whole thing about the border. We've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. The press treats you like you're the uh, inappropriate renegade. And look at that. That is not a serious person. No, not at all. Um, to, to laugh something like that off. And, and who is we? We've been to the border? I, I, me and Andy Biggs have been to the border, uh, <laughs> but Kamala has not been down there. And uh, and then to bring up Europe, well, now that Biden's been to Europe, maybe maybe she could go down to the border. I don't know. I think Biden thought he was in Mexico. Who knows if he even <laughs> knew where he was uh, when he went overseas. Uh, but this is uh, really a disgrace to our nation. And this is why uh, me and so many others are stepping up because our country's security and future really depend on what we do and, and the actions we take to hold people accountable. Well, uh, let's see. She is focusing on the root causes, which I think could take about a half century to uh, correct. But take a look at this. We are focused on addressing both the acute factors and the root causes of migration. The root causes of migration. Dealing with root causes. You can't say you care about the border without caring about the root causes. Dealing with the root causes of migration. We better care about the root causes. The root causes. You know, the root causes, uh, Joe Biden, I've heard he wants to set up light systems in Guatemala and some of these countries, and he gets really excited about the contracts that go with that. Have you noticed that? I have. 
Yes. And, you know, the root cause is enriching the cartels and allowing them to to run this uh, a very highly sophisticated uh, a crime organization uh, through our country. The root cause is an unsecure border. The root cause is Border Patrol agents not having the funding or the resources or the facilities to to occupy uh, th this mass surge of migration. The root cause is at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. Melissa Bobert. Oh, excuse me, Lauren Bobert. Hey, you called McClowski governor. I mean, I, I'll take that. What was I drinking this morning? <laughs> you think it was four hours since I had a drink. It's been five years. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Greg. It's been you, a pleasure. Right, to be continued. And we'll be right back. Hey, I'm Rob Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view, and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app, and it downloads directly to your smartphone, so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app, or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's You're emotionally abusing our children. Highly politicized agendas on our most vulnerable constituents. You cannot accomplish anything because of your skin color. This is still America, ma'am. I love these women. I love these warriors. Men, too, by the way, but the women have been outstanding. And I think added to the roster of heroes is Ramona Bessinger. She's a Providence, Rhode Island public school teacher, and she's run into some really big problems because she stands for the truth. First of all, uh, Ramona Bessinger, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm doing really well. Thank you. You bet, you bet. Well, look, you, there were some fireworks just the other night, a school board meeting. You made an appearance. I want to take a look at that, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about what's happening, okay? Okay. All right. They're lying about the curriculum. They are teaching a curriculum that is racialized. They are teaching children to be divided. We don't give a damn about their political issues. We don't give a damn about their political ideology. We would like our children to be educated and treated fairly and decent. We're sick of this. Wow, it's such a, you know, straightforward, makes so much sense. Who knew saying something like that could get you in a lot of trouble and some would say that you're the radical. Uh, Ramona, when did things get really crazy up there? Well, Actually, um, I'm getting it from both ends. I have a child who is in the 10th grade at North Kingstown High School, and I'm also a teacher in an urban community. And so I'm seeing this rolled out at my school where I teach, but also at my son's school. And honestly, it is frightening. I have never in all my years as a teacher seen anything like this. Um, it started to um, become apparent to me that something was not right sometime around last November, excuse me, when I um, taught the Declaration of Independence, and that was met with um, some disapproval from my administration, and I knew something was quite wrong at that point. And then, of course, around January, boxloads and boxloads and boxloads of books were streaming into um, our classrooms. I've never seen anything like that either. Cartoon style, 
pamphlet style books that all seem to have, uh, yeah, not those books, but they were, <laughs> those books were taken out. Um, so, and in my children's classes, I noticed the same narrative as well. So on both ends at my kids' school, but also as a teacher, I noticed that these books had this same sort of bizarre, constantly, you know, the same narrative that, um, you know, we were divided in our country by oppressor versus the oppressed. You started speaking out about this. I understand you wrote an essay that received some attention. Uh, I am a medical, middle school teacher and see how critical race curriculum is creating racial hostility in school. And I think we can see that uh, from teachers like you and just it makes it's common sense. When did you start getting heat? You, you start noticing these oddball things. You say, all right, <laughs> are we serious here? How did they or did they penalize you? Oh, Yes, and then some. I was called down to HR for every single, I mean, they, they made up things. It was ridiculous. Uh, pronouncing a student's name wrong, walking out of the building during a fire drill incorrectly. Everything was, you know, embellished with this uh, crazy language intended to intimidate and, you know, bully me and basically send a message to me to shut up or, you know, this harassment was going to continue. And then, of course, I didn't shut up. And I wrote the article in Legal Insurrection. And that um, that went somewhat, became very popular or went viral, I suppose. And uh, subsequent to that, started school again in September. And it was just, it's been brutal since the beginning, since day one. And the message is clear that if you oppose this political ideology that is infiltrating our schools, the message is clear. They're going to come after you. They're going to harass you. And they're going to try to silence you. This is the way this group, you know, the way this, uh, this agenda works. They are bullies, quite frankly. Or worse, or worse. I, uh, oh, yes. you know, I admire you, though. I mean, it's a lot of us are just, you know, sounding off on Twitter and <laughs> you're on the front lines, literally. Uh, by the way, you have some key allies. You may not know them personally, but they're on your side here. Uh, here's a, a moment from Condoleezza Rice, former secretary of state. She had a few things to say about critical race theory. Great. It either seems so big that somehow white people now have to feel guilty for everything that happened in the past. I, I mm -hmm. don't think that's very productive. Or black people have to feel disempowered by mm -hmm. race. I would like black kids to be completely empowered, to know that they are beautiful in their blackness. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, I don't have to make white kids feel bad for being white. Uh, what do you think of that? That is exactly what is happening. I will say that in, in white children are feeling ashamed for being white, but also ashamed to be American. And where I teach, there's a lot of mistrust of the United States, um, mistrust of white people. And in fact, you know, you hear this sort of race discussion, this 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 idea that that this country is inherently racist being, you know, spoken between children as early, you know, at the age of 12 and 13. It's, 
it's really very unfortunate to see this happening and play out in the schools, but also in the work that the kids are doing. Mm. The work is all about being a victim. The 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 projects and and the materials kids are reading. It's it's really unfortunate that children are not having you know the same education that we were exposed to, or even my um, you know up to a couple of years ago. It's all race based and all violent. It's terrible. Being a kid is tough enough. <laughs> I remember those years, 13, 14, we didn't have to deal with any of this stuff. Everybody agreed on the books, and uh, I was a basket case. <laughs> so that's another story. But um, listen, Ramona, you're not alone. We're thinking about you. Folks, if you'd like to uh, reach out, you can. If you don't mind, Ramona, I'm going to share your Twitter address, at Ramona Bessinger, at Ramona Bessinger. And uh, we appreciate it. Hang in there, and um, let's stay in touch, okay? Thank you so much for having me on your show. You bet. What you're doing is very, very important. We'll, uh, to be continued, and we'll be right back. John Voight, few people in the world have had the career of this guy. Look at these great movies, Midnight Cowboy, Runaway Train. Hey, The Champ, one of my favorites. And more recently, Ray Donovan, and the list goes on and on. You may also know him as a great friend and great supporter of President Donald Trump. Not everybody in Hollywood likes that. It's one of the reasons why we really like John Voight. He's talented, he's gutsy, and he's our guest on Newsmax. John Voigt, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you, sir? Hey, Greg, how are you? Terrific, and it's great to see you. Um, hey, listen, I know you've uh, received an Academy Award. Uh, what did you think of last night's Academy Awards? Well, they had a tough go because, you know, very few people have seen those films in a theater. And, you know, and just checking them in critically and just seeing what, what's going on here and there people didn't have a chance to sit down and really enjoy those films. And that's that's tough for all the performers and all of the people responsible for those films. So it was a, it, it's, a, it's a tough thing for them to have to come to this year and, and have their work in this situation. But, you know, God hasn't stopped making talent. They're all very gifted people. And, and, uh, and they had a wonderful night last night, I'm sure, everybody. You know, they are very talented people, but more and more, it seems like they're working in a box. It's a box designed by, I'm not exactly sure who's putting it together, but it says that you have to speak in a certain way and you have to act a certain way. And I'm not talking about the craft of acting and you have to support certain candidates. And I know Hollywood's always kind of been a little bit to the left, but it seems off the charts right now. Um, is that the case? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's face it. The, uh, the, uh, the, the Democrat Party, which is uh, obviously in, in uh, sway now, uh, has been overtaken by the left. And, uh, it's, and, and it's very anti-American, actually. Um, so it's a tough time right now. We're in a, in a battle for the country. I want to take a look. America seems to be tuning out. You mentioned COVID. I understand that's a problem. But 
It looks like they're down from 50% since last time. That's a big, big hit. You know, you know these, uh, these performers, and yeah. they, they love the art. I'm not sure that they are as political as they're being portrayed. Like, where is this coming from? Do they all naturally hate Donald Trump? Is that it? I mean, if you want to be an actor, what do you care about who's in the White House? I mean, you know, to a, to a certain point. Where is this coming from, this impetus, this push to go so far to the left? Well, I'm going to go back a little bit. I grew up in the 60s, you know. I mean, I mean, I started my career in the late 60s, and, and uh, that was a very destructive time for our country. And, and it started out with the, the, the trauma of us losing our our very popular uh, president, John Kennedy. And then it seemed like uh, many elements came forth to, to, uh, to dis disrupt off of that, that trauma. And uh, one of them was, certainly was the KGB, but th there, was a, uh, there was just a big influx of uh, negativity. And it, it is marked, there's a book, um, David Horowitz is a wonderful and a, and a great uh, historian and was active during that period. And he made a big transition. He was raised as a communist and then by his parents. And, and then he, uh, he, he was the editor of Ramparts magazine. And then he had a, a really uh, an eye-opening, very traumatic event of his own. And he, he turned at that time. But he knew all the players and I would say that anybody who's really interested, and people say, I'm interested in the truth and all of that. If you're really interested in the truth, pick up uh, his book, uh, Radical Son, and another one by his friend Peter Collier and he. Uh, it's called The Destructive Generation. And those, that'll give you a good portrait of what was going on in the 60s. And it, it was a takeover by the left. And, it's, and we've seen it, uh, you know, d during the Reagan years, uh, there was a little bit of a pause. And then after the Soviet Union collapsed, everybody relaxed and, uh, and then the left made further inroads and finally took over. And that's what we're dealing with right now. Well, you mentioned Reagan, Ronald Reagan, great president, and there's a movie coming out next year. You're in it. It's called Reagan, very simply. It's set to be released in 2022. Uh, Dennis Quaid plays Reagan. And, oh, we've got some footage here of it under in production. Uh, let's take a look here. Uh, Quaid looks pretty good. And tell us a little bit about your character. You actually play a KGB agent. Yeah, that's why I probably mentioned the KGB, because I knew what they were doing at the time in the 60s from the research that I did and from having been in the 60s. But anyway, I play a character who is a KGB, uh, kind of a former KGB guy, who's kind of turned, and he's asked by a young fellow coming up what happened during that time, why did we give up without a fight, talking about the Soviet Union, and I sit him down and tell him the story of Ronald Reagan, and, uh, uh, and, I, and to, to that degree, I'm in a, a strong part of the film. Sir, you uh, had a special relationship, have a special relationship with Donald Trump. He awarded you the Presidential Medal of Freedom Richly award, uh, deserved, of course, quite a moment for you. Um, tell us a little bit about why, why you thought 
he was so good for America. I guess you're like the rest of us. You liked his policies, but you know more about him than we do. Uh, what was it about Donald Trump that got your attention? Well, there's a whole lot of things about him, but uh, uh, I mean, he, he's an answer to so many of the problems. And that's why he's taken so much heat, because he's very effective as a leader. He's the real thing. He's a real leader. Uh, he's a problem solver. He has unlimited energy and uh, he has great instincts. And all the promises that he made uh, coming to the first election in uh, 2016 were followed through on, every one. So, and, and that's quite a unique thing. <clears throat> they say, you know, if you want to say this is unprecedented, this, this event, I say that's unprecedented, that somebody means what they say and, and follows through. So anyway, all of, for all of those reasons, and look what he accomplished. Look at the amazing accomplishments of Donald Trump. Uh, he was a true friend of Israel, of course, and the Abraham Accords were bringing that part of the world to a peace it's never seen. And, uh, and he fixed our economy, had everybody at work, and, uh, and, uh, and did, did so many things, like just even visiting the White House, the way he took care of the White House. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, brought Christmas back to us and all, all these lovely things that he did. But uh, also on the front of interacting with leadership across the world, he was quite amazing. Uh, he, he, the way he handled himself with all of the, the so-called villains of the world, and there's some dangerous people out there, of course, uh, he was able to, to uh, make, you know, get relationships with each of these guys and they had great respect for him. And uh, of course, he he dealt with the, the villainy of Iran in a very specific way. And now we're returning Iran to the position of, of getting a nuclear weapon. This is a this is a horror. And there are many, many uh, things that are happening right now that we we have to, uh, you know, <laughs> we have to put up a fight against because, for instance, our economy, the way they're yeah. throwing money around, the, uh, eventually this will break, break us down. Last thing, sir, your legacy is secure. You're a Hollywood great. You don't have to do anything ever again uh, to be a historical you, figure in Hollywood. <laughs> but I'm curious, have you taken a hit in terms of opportunities because you're a vocal Trump supporter? I mean, the cancel culture, we hear about it every day. Um, what has been the backlash for you in Hollywood? Well, Greg, look, uh, people hire their, their buddies. And uh, I'm uh, in a situation where I have, I have a few, still have a few friends in Hollywood, but uh, it's, it's difficult for people who announce they're conservative. Yes, for sure. But, uh, but that, that has to be now. You know, we have to make a stand. You have to state who you are. You can't be afraid. You can't cower for, the, for this thing because it hurts a lot of people coming up. We, we, you have to make a little bit of a stand here now. Well, you know, someone of your caliber and your stature uh, on our side, it's inspiring and uh, kind of uh, reinforces uh, us. And uh, thank you very much. John Voigt, continued success. All the best. Okay, Greg, thank you. You bet, you bet. Eric Bowling is back, and he's fighting big media, woke politics, and cancel culture. Every afternoon, Eric's new The Balance tells the truth and exposes the big lies. Watch Eric Bowling every weekday afternoon on Newsmax.
Hey, look at this. Sean Spicer, who anchors Spicer and Company at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right before my show, has a book. A book. Another one. He's already a New York Times bestselling author. It's called Radical Nation. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's dangerous plan for America. I already have my copy. Thank you very much, Sean Spicer. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. It's it's great. I think this is a first. I'm so excited to join you. You know, I get off air and normally go home and I get to stick around and be with you. That's fantastic. Uh, don't overdo it, okay? Because I've got a beef with you, and we'll get to that eventually. I, all, right. all right. No, no, listen, listen. Seriously, congratulations on the book. Thank you. And um, I do have to ask you one thing, though. You left this on my desk, and it's personally inscribed to me. What does this gibberish mean? I cannot understand your handwriting to save my life. Well, I, obviously, I just thank you for your support and, and your friendship, Greg. So I'll have to, I'll, I'll print out a little separate thing next time. I have a feeling you might have put a couple, a different message in there. I don't, I have no, I'm not sure, Sean. I have a feeling you might be saying something else. But seriously, congratulations, Radical Nation. Um, tell us. I mean, we know that what's being done, but right. give, us, give us a preview. Look, I, I don't, I mean, we talk about it every day on, on, on my show and on your show, but I mean, the direction that we're going in, the people that surround this administration uh, are, are not qualified. They're taking us in the wrong direction. And then the policies, I mean, think about it. The president today, Greg, said that this bill, this spending is intended to transform the nation. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that it's a radical nation. That's where they're taking us if we don't stop it. And I think part of what we need to do is to continue to call it out and to tell people, look, if you don't get involved, if you don't get your voice heard, we're going to end up with a country that we don't recognize in a few years. Sean, you are an expert at getting your voice heard. And what, what would you recommend for people out there? And I wrestle with this myself. We know what's happening. There are too few of us, by the way, and you do a great job calling it out. What is the call for action? Is it writing letters to our members of Congress? Is it being active on social media? What can people do? Yes, yes, and yes. The last chapter in the book, chapter 20, is a conservative action plan. So if you're a young person, think about joining Turning Point USA, the Young America's Foundation, Campus Reform. If you're an older person, go to a school board hearing. Heck, run for a school board position. We're looking at those folks just south of where I live in Loudoun County, Virginia, going out there, getting involved. So many of these people were never involved, Greg, but they're going out there. They don't like what they see. They're having their voice heard, and they're having an effect on policy. That that's the point. If we get out there, if we take action, if we tweet, if we put videos on YouTube, then things can happen. But the point of Radical Nation is to give people a roadmap of what's happening and how they can actively engage in the process to stop it. Well, it sounds awesome. Hey, by the way, uh, so far, the book is being very well received. I understand tomorrow you're going out to California and you're sitting down with Bill Maher. Now, Bill Maher is a smart guy. He's entertaining. He's crazy liberal. And I have a feeling he's going to come after you. Uh, and you know he likes to drop the F-bombs. Are you ready for that? Do you, how do you prepare for a Bill Maher sit-down? Uh, you know, you're right. I mean, look, I, I've... 
I, I, you have to go places to sell a book, right? That's what you do. Uh, and I'm going to sit down with them and, and go through it. But I'm going to make a strong case as I do in the book. I mean, look, I don't think you have to be a, a if, whether you're a liberal or not, I'm going to ask a simple question. Tell me one thing that's going well in this administration. Name one thing. Name one agency that's being run well. They can't. So I think, frankly, the funny thing is he can come at me, and I know he will. But at the end of the day, I think if you're willing to defend this administration, you're going to have to explain why. And I think I've got the ammunition and Radical Nation explains why I'm on the right side of history on this. Yes, I believe you are most certainly. Uh, one area of the government that is not functioning well right now is the White House press office. Uh, one of your <laughs> successors, Jen Psaki, has proven herself to be uh, uniquely weird in a lot of different respects. Here's a quick highlight, roll, uh, high, highlight reel, if you don't mind. Let's go ahead and play that. Thank you, everyone. On the polling, the president's polling continues to collapse. And we'll end that and help shout it again. Next time we'll do it during the briefing. While she was there, like many Americans, she got a snack. I think she's allowed to do that. I don't have anything more for you. I think I don't appreciate the like putting words in my mouth. That wasn't what my effort was. I think we're going to keep going along. Go ahead. Emerald, I think we've spent plenty of time with you today. Go ahead. Why is the Biden administration Emerald, let's give some other people more time here, okay? Well, we went through this journey together yesterday. Uh, look, I don't think she's particularly adept at the job. There she is blowing off our own Emerald Robinson a lot. Right. What's your assessment, um, seriously, of her job? I, mean, I know we put together, you know, some unfortunate moments there. But overall, what do you think? Look, when I was press secretary, I walked into a group of hyenas every day. They were jumping up and down, waving their hands, yelling at me. She walks in, and it's like a bunch of Greenwich school prep school kids with their hands folded saying, Miss Saki, can I have a question, and then can I go to the bathroom at snack time? Uh, it, it's embarrassing, and you see her in those things. It looks like she's literally a school teacher, calling on children, scolding them when they ask her anything that she doesn't find as part of the script. And I think that's what they're used to. She was a colleague of theirs at CNN. She thinks of them as colleagues and friends, not as someone who's coming in there expecting to be pressed on the failures, on the double standards, on the hypocrisy. And there's quite a difference, and anybody can see it with their own eyes, the difference between how we were treated in the Trump White House and how they are treated. But, it, it, I mean, it's such a vastly different press corps that's in there. They are truly an extension of the White House press office. And I was blown away by... <laughs> Well, maybe I shouldn't say that because Chris Wallace, uh, I quite frankly, as a journalist, as a media personality, I have very little regard for. But he gave this review recently of uh, Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki, I think, is a, one of the best press secretaries ever. Um, we all know that Chris Wallace is, uh, you know, a little deranged, but uh, where is that coming from? Is that, do you think, he wants to get in good with her or stay on her good side so she can, he can get guests? Is that the game that's being played? I think that's part of it. Look, I wish I had Chris Wallace as a professor in college because he's clearly grading on a curve. <laughs> uh, I, I just I, the thing that I think is so funny is what, what with all due respect, what challenge has Jen Psaki faced? I've said before I used to I admire Ari Fleischer a ton because during 9-11 through that crisis, he was a calm uh, and professional presence in the briefing room that guided us through a national crisis. I don't know what Jen has done aside from scold people from asking tough questions. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right. So, look, let's take care of the elephant in the room that uh, people are noticing on social media. Uh, many people in the company know that my door is always open to them 
at any time, but I have it one is. strict prohibition. I have a beautiful chair there. They can come and visit me anytime, but they can't sit in my chair. I, this chair means a lot to me. It's my favorite chair. As you can see, it's a recliner. Recently, you were in New York uh, on a book tour, and that's great, Sean. But you sat in my chair, and you did so in a very defiant way, I believe. Very provocative. I think we have a picture of you. Yes. Had a long weekend promoting your book, and you took advantage of my open-door policy. Sean, I must say, I do think you took advantage of, uh, of my hospitality, and I'm taken aback. But I left you a book, right? I mean, that was nice of me, right? I left you a book. So you didn't even have to go on Amazon to buy it I, I, or, or to Barnes & Noble or Costco. You got a free book. I needed a place to sit and relax after promoting Radical Nation so much. And look, Greg, I'll make this offer to you. When you come to Washington, D.C., to our fair city, any chair that you want to relax in, it's yours. The offer right now extended to you. Well, as you can see, I'm very particular about my chairs, and I need a chair to those specifications, not one of your rinky-dink chairs down there in the D.C. Bureau. I've been there. I've seen it. I'm not impressed. But, John, no problem. You did leave me a copy of this book, personally signed, and I do thank you. And, by the way, it is a great public service. There's some real gems you haven't in looked here. Under the I, I, you haven't looked under the cushions yet, have you? Oh, gosh. What the... What the Sean, I was, all right, never oh, mind. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sean, no problem, no problem. I know you're kidding. I hope you're kidding. One more time, everybody. The book is Radical Nation, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's Dangerous Plan for America by Sean Spicer, New York Times bestselling author and a great former White House press secretary. Sean, thank you. I'll be back in a moment. In a quarter mile, you're going to make a left, okay? We're talking about a left onto Sortel Boulevard. A wonderful street. I built it with my own two hands. A beautiful street. I know a lot about it. Nobody knows Sortel like I know Sortel. You're going to make a left. And if you reach Bernie Sanders, you've gone too far left, okay? If you reach Bernie, you've gone too far. In three big, beautiful quarters of a mile, we're going to make a U-turn, okay? We're going to make a U-turn, turn around, or as Jen Psaki likes to say, we're going to circle back, okay? We're going to make the U-turn, the greatest U-turn the world has ever seen at Corpus Christi Drive, and we're going to turn it around faster than the world has ever seen. We're rerouting, or as I like to call it, lost, okay? We've got no clue where we are. We are more lost than a liberal after reading the Constitution. We're... More lost than Sleepy Joe after leaving his basement. But we're going to get there soon, believe me. Perfection. It's perfect. It's perfect. Sean, I don't... Um, <laughs> how did you do it? How did you pull it off? Lots of practice. First shot. Natural. What happened? So, I mean, I've been doing it. Uh, there are folks on Twitter and folks on Facebook that have seen it for a while. I started doing that with Trump, the weatherman. I would do weather forecasts. We're going to get a lot of snow like you've never seen. And yeah. that kind of like transitioned into, you know, just putting Trump in different situations. One of my videos last year, I did one. Uh, he was the server in a, in a restaurant. I did the MAGA Airlines, you know, doing the the. Fasten your seatbelts, okay, like things like that. Um, but, yeah, it is practice, repetition. You learn a few phrases. All of a sudden, you can sound like the guy. I always hear me doing it, right? So I don't know what other people hear, but apparently people think it sounds really good. And I, I honestly, for me, it's all about are people enjoying the content? Can we get a good laugh? I've even had liberals go, I don't like Trump, but you're funny. And to me, that's what it's all about. 
All right. Well, it works. It totally works. I want to find out about Long Island Loud Majority. But first, another clip. I'm not sure what adventure we're going to go on right now with you and Donald Trump, but let's take a look. Rise and shine. It's another great day to make America great again. And I just have to say, frankly, and I know you're looking at it and you're thinking about it, but I don't want you to touch what I call the fake news snooze button. Don't touch it. It's the fake news snooze and sleepy Joe Biden has hit the fake news snooze button his entire career. So it's time to get out of bed. Pour yourself the greatest cup of Kofifi the world has ever seen. Rise up with one voice, drain the swamp, and take back our country. Today's the day we're going to do it, and it's time to do it right now. Believe me. By the way, not only the voice, the writing. A cup of Kofifi. I remember that. Uh, it's brilliant. Totally brilliant. Uh, tell us a little bit about Long Island Loud Majority. You founded it. What is it? I founded it with two others, Kevin and Heather. Um, we we used to run all the Trump uh, caravans here on Long Island. We took 10,000 cars from Seaford to Montauk. We took 300 vehicles down Fifth Avenue. We called that the uh, Operation 104 because it was on October 4th. Fifth Avenue filibuster right past Trump Tower. What a great time. We've energized conservatives in this state. Uh, like nobody's ever seen, to, to quote the man. Um, and we can't, we're continuing to do it. We're fighting critical race theory in the schools. We're trying to get the kids out of masks. We're bringing people together that have been afraid to speak uh, and afraid to be comfortable to say, I'm a conservative, I'm a patriot. Um, and now they're not afraid to do that anymore. We've taken the silent majority. We've woken them up. We've turned them into the loud majority, and uh, that's really what it's all about. We're, we're, we're giving no ground, and we're taking ground back, and that's our goal. Awesome. Awesome, Sean. All right, we got another video, and uh, let's see what happens on this one. Here we go. Okay. Can I have two chicken quesadillas? We're talking about— Yes, I want the most beautiful, well-packed quesadillas you could do. Add two sides of sour cream. We're talking about— Sorry about that. The sourest cream the world has ever seen. Correct. That's all it's going to be. That's all you order? That's the entire order. Big, beautiful order. The best order the world's ever seen. I'll see you on the other side. Would you like any sauce? I would like a colossal amount of hot sauce. Hot sauce? Yes. Okay. Let me turn it for you. I'll see you. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, listen, I like you a lot, Sean. You know that by now. You know that. But I noticed that you're always wearing your hat in an interesting manner, backwards. Not the front like I wear it, but backwards in all the videos. Why is that, Sean? Sean, you are light, wear it. you're light years ahead of me. Did you notice? Did you notice what I was doing there? Yes, I heard you, and you were doing a fantastic job, okay? Don't undersell yourself. You did a fantastic job. You're always doing a fantastic job. I wear the hat backwards to signify the direction that the country's going under Sleepy Joe, okay? We're going backwards. That's what's happening. Perfect, perfect. Well, listen, you're a thousand, a million times better than Alec Baldwin. So uh, can you give us one more? If Donald Trump were uh, watching Newsmax, what might he be thinking or saying right about now? 
He'd probably say, listen, they're the greatest network, okay? They did a great job during the election for such a long time, Greg Kelly. And we want to say, continue to watch it. Their ratings are fantastic, a lot better than, let's say, fake news CNN or the failing New York Times. So continue to watch Newsmax and support my friend Greg. All right. Thank you very much, Donald Trump and Sean, President Trump. Uh, by the way, check him out on TikTok at Captain Deplorable. I love it. Captain Deplorable. And uh, continued success. Sean Farish, keep in touch. You're welcome back anytime. We so appreciate it. Thank you so much. You bet. We'll be right back. <laughs> This country was made by tax rebels, freedom fighters, gold seekers, believers, lovers, and true patriots. We're Newsmax, and we're their heirs, and so are you. Newsmax TV, real news for real people. In terms of inflation, because you had told uh, us at a town hall, I think it was in July, that the in, this was just near-term inflation. The Wall Street Journal recently talks to like 67 uh, financial experts. Everybody's wondering why was he doing this? The internet took it from there. Very funny stuff, by the way. Is he ready for a jet? <laughs> Check it out, right? Look, have a great weekend and have a safe flight, Joe Biden. Uh, uh,